Thank you so much for joining us. We are joined with author, award-winning author, Gerald Everett Jones, and his new book, Mick and Mora and Brad, a romantic comedy. And what makes this romantic triangle so interesting, Gerald, is that you have decided to set this in Hollywood and the music industry. And why don't we start off right there? What inspired you to take this to the music industry? Well, I live here on the left coast in Santa Monica, um, and, you know, I've mucked about in the entertainment industry for some years. I've had, um, you know, shelves full of rejected scripts, and I even won a Writers Guild Award. It was a Writers Guild Diversity Award, uh, Career Longevity Award, uh, for a script that I wrote, and I didn't have a career at that point. <laughs> I hadn't had anything option, but, you know, so I know the business. And, um, I, you know, this is my 13th book, and actually I'd written um, uh, a rom-com series, kind of a coming-of-age series, uh, uh, years ago. Uh, but I hadn't really worked in the romance genre. And I was watching some pre-code Hollywood movies. You know, these were, co- these were comedies with contending battle of the sexes. But the thing that really impressed me about, like, the 1930s, you know, the... The Lubitsch pictures, the George Cukor, uh, Tracy Hepburn, Thin Man, um, these characters liked each other. And when they were fighting, it was like, it was for sport. (laughs) It it wasn't, they enjoyed being with each other. It wasn't about jealousy or rivalry or getting back or scoring. It was about, about just being engaged with each other, being involved with each other. And I thought... Can you write that comedy these days? And so that's what I did. And I, I, I believe I was amazingly successful because these three, it's a love triangle, but, you know, under other circumstances, I think they might gravitate to each other at a cocktail party. I think they might enjoy each other's company. So um, that was the inspiration for the book. Well, it is it is interesting because we have three characters as mentioned. We have Mick, who is the aggressive Hollywood agent, and I have to ask right there: Is there any type of agent that's not aggressive in Hollywood? <laughs> well, one thing about Mick, and this has to do with the love triangle, is you know he's thirty something executive vice president of spectacular artists. You know, name change to protect the guilty, right? Because you know I know some of those outfits, but you know they're big packaging agencies. So he delivers not only the star, the director, the cinematographer, the music director, the whole thing. And that's what, and that was a, that packaging agencies, those are really more, in many ways, more influential than studios these days. They put together the whole thing and then they deliver that to the studio, the network, whatever. But I mean, this is a team that's worked together before. But the thing about Mick is when Myra auditions for him, now Myra is a, criminal defense attorney trained in opera who sings in the shower and somebody said, <laughs> you really should meet this lady. All right. Well, it turns out Mick really <laughs> needs to fill a slot for a concert at Mercedes-Benz Auditorium Berlin. That's just 18,000 seats, okay? But his star, his pop star has gotten inconveniently pregnant and he really needs to mm. fill a slot. So anyhow, when he, when Moira auditions for him, he knows right away he's going to fall for her. I mean, she's just, she's incredible, okay? Not only an incredible singer, but, you know, drop-dead gorgeous, whatever. And, you know, he knows that she's got the bravery, the courage to 
take this part on because, hey, she's a criminal defense attorney. <laughs> she's just <laughs> she can handle the pressure. In front of the but the thing is, as an agent, he absolutely cannot even hint that he would ever be interested in her. Mm. I mean, you know, here he is in the post-Me Too world in this big agency. His wall is entire. His office is entirely surrounded by glass. <laughs> he can't make the moves on anybody, but not, but particularly not her, because if he were to somehow offend her, step over the line, whatever, if she doesn't step onto that stage, the agency is going to get sued by the backers, by the show backers. And this, this happened. I actually knew a producer this happened to that you know, a big star who happened to be a friend of the pop star called him like the night before the concert and said, Oh, by the way, he's not feeling well. Oh. <laughs> like, and that was a multi-million dollar lawsuit. So these things happen, although you, not necessarily publicized. So, But then you've got Brad, who's the like the third cog in the wheel. Brad is, in some ways, a satire on the billionaire boyfriend. He's a hedge fund manager. He's Myra's current love interest. But the thing about Brad is he's not... Number one, he's not terribly faithful, but number two is he's kind of a geek. He's kind of, you know, in the closet as a lover, he's he doesn't really trust women. Hmm. Uh, he went to boarding school. Uh, he was bullied in boarding school. And he's kind of a rich kid, but um, his his love interest, the love interest of his life is the, the, the dog he had then who's now passed away. And Brad really kind of feels like, you know, Nobody will love me as much as a dog. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> you know? More affectionate, more loyal, who <laughs> will never leave you, you know, unless they're going off to, you know, pass away. Um, but, yeah. And, and one of the things that Myra discovers is, you know, in the old days, in the old, in those old movies, the female, even though she was sharp and quick-witted and whatever, she was always kind of in the guy's shadow. She was always trying to prove that she was just as good, and a lot of the stars did, you know, like mm. um, Torchy Blaine series. You know, um, she was a smart reporter, and she was smarter than her than her police detective boyfriend. Okay, and she <laughs> she showed that in every movie. But but these days, you know, it's not Myra can't. And she doesn't have an inferiority complex. She knows she could step onto that stage. But her indecision has more to do with, well, number one, who's playing me here? Okay, who can I really trust? And what what do I really want to do with my life? I mean, I, I'm a really good attorney, but I'm not really fond of defending these bad guys. And I do it well. But, I mean, do I really want to be a star? I mean, like a star star? Cher did, she eventually finds out, Cher did a thousand concert performances in 50 years. Wow. That is hard work, okay? Plus, you've got to have, you got to have it. You, you know, and the, and it's funny because when they set Myra up for this show, this, this, this pop singing show, the uh, music arranger says, you know, in a meeting says, well, you know, one thing is, are drag queens going to want to be her? Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like Liza Minnelli, Cher, <laughs> Liza's mother. Um, a star is a product. 
the star is a brand, and that that's that's Mick's job is to build that brand. And she's coming from nowhere, and she says to him at one point. You know, I've had more business meetings with you guys than I've had rehearsals. I feel like a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> it really is true. Well, and so, so I got, I got to ask you, Gerald. It seems like trust would be a very limited resource to try and look for it in Hollywood. What, she doesn't really have any other option, though. She's decided between her billionaire boyfriend and her law career, or the the cost of being famous. And I guess what what is the cost of being a famous to to Myra? Well, you know, and, and I'll actually read you uh, just a couple sentences from the book that really kind of answers that question. Show business wasn't a job change. She jumped, she jumped into an alternate universe, a phantasmic place with its eccentric traditions, rules, and jargon, a place where talent was never enough, where emotions are manufactured, delivered, and manipulated as a product. So you've got to give yourself to that if you're going to be a star, and you've got to realize that that brand that gets created might not be you. I mean, there, there's a classic story uh, told about Art Carney that, you know, when he, when he got on Johnny Carson, mm. he was just kind of a dull guy. He had nothing to say. You know, he's one of the most brilliant comedians of that era, and yet without material, without a script, without a stage, without an audience, he was just kind of a regular guy. <laughs> now, did that did that make him fret? No, actually, for a star, you thrive on that. I mean, you you know, you if when the spotlight's not on you, it's just downright chilly. And that, that's another thing about Hollywood is, you know, we see star careers that like they seem to burn out. It's like, uh, what whatever happened to him? And suddenly they're back. You know, my favorite example in today's marketplace is the the aging, mature, leading man star. Okay, you got Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson. What's the formula for those guys now? They grow a scraggly beard, they dress like a homeless person, and in the first rule of the movie, in the first reel of the movie, somebody kills somebody close to them. Mm-hmm. They pick up a semi-automatic rifle and they hunt them down and they the offenders down and he gives them worse than he got. And you know, it's a revenge it's called the revenge formula. Char- it was Charles Bronson did it only those. And yes. those are really popular in some ways. Bronson might have been the biggest earning star of all time in his generation because with the Death Wish series. revenge movies cross borders. You could turn the sound off hmm. and get every aspect of it. and actually at um AFM uh, you know the big distributors show here in Santa Monica every year. Um, when you walk in with when when directors walk in with their sample reel, um, the distributors have been known to turn the sound off hmm. and just see whether it plays. So yeah, it's a business. It's a crass business, <laughs> and in many ways, it's an unfair business. I mean, you know, in terms of you know, um, not only. Not only do you have to please fans, I mean, the book market's the same way. you got to kind of, like, second-guess where fans are going to be here two years from now. Because the project you start today is not going to hit the streets tomorrow. So more than just being a writer, you're trying to predict where the, the social trends are, are migrating, and you're trying to write before they even happen. Well, you know, I don't predict, and I, you know... Some genre writers might, I mean, if you're, like, fantasy horror or whatever, and you got... 10 books in the series, but 
and and this may be a series is the first and i i did start the second one so and it, you know it's a short book it's 50,000 words it's a quick read and it's it's light it's not you know it's not heavy literary fiction uh there, there's some some good reflective stuff in there but you know they're engaging characters and and it's supposed to be great fun and yeah there's conflict there and you know all that's good stuff but no i as a writer you really kind of have to write what's in your heart mm. and and just you know pray that someday the audience comes around um i have i have found recently you know COVID and post-COVID, um, and with the economic challenges we're having, that the only thing that really works in terms of numbers is a free ebook. Mm. And I've probably, I've probably, with promotions, I would say within the last two months, seven thousand downloads. Wow. I mean, this 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 book, uh, the the week it came out, twenty two hundred downloads. Okay, free, but free. Next day, uh, priced at full price, five. <laughs> mm. But you know, the thing is, I realize, you know, 10 years from now, you know, if, if somebody's still got that in their Kindle library or whatever, they're not going to remember whether they bought it for free. The people who, the, the, the people who, the, the authors that I, I won't say compete with, that are, but are my comparables, you know, they they might have sold them at full price, whatever, but that's still 10,000 fans, either way. <laughs> so, you know, and 100 years from now, when they're teaching me in college courses, okay, <laughs> I won't know. <laughs> so, so Gerald, let, let, me, let me ask you this then. What, what is the motivation for you writing then? Is it, is it more than money? Is it a legacy? What, what do you hope to accomplish? Oh, well, you know, writers, writers that are like me, they have to write. I actually had an editor mentor who said, I, 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 I got a sneak peek at his employee evaluation form. He said this guy would write on would write matchbook covers, <laughs> and that was back in the days when advertising was on the back of paper match matchbooks and and that kind of, I mean and, you know compulsive. It's like it's kind of the thing you have. and that's that's what they say of actors. I mean you know of the Screen Actors Guild. You know there's just a very very small act, um, fraction who make any money at all. I mean my wife struggled with that. I mean she was a stand up comedy. And, whatever but but you know i mean she made she she we're gonna do our taxes here next month you know she gets she gets these royalty statements from warner brothers you know dollar and 53 cents for <laughs> um but i mean in many ways when she was especially when she was stand-up comedy she had a following she, i mean it was mostly local and mostly clubs but as she did some places on the road but you know i mean it's what an agent once called, once said. It, it's exposure work, and I, I liken it when I talk to other writers. I, it's it's garage band marketing. You know, mm. you you play for other people at whatever wherever they will listen to you until until somehow you connect. And it's like one of the mistakes that that um, uh, that authors who are just starting out make is like, oh, well, how much money I'm going to make? That's not your your worry. I mean, think about the band playing in the garage, okay? Don't expect that the limousine's going to pull up and say, hey, guys, how do you like to play the Hollywood Bowl? And this is certainly true, uh, not only in writing, but in filmmaking, is look at the fact that studios do not produce, do not risk money on pilots anymore. They just don't. Right. They used to spend $2 million for a pilot, for a sitcom pilot. Now they watch YouTube, and they see who gets the most clicks. They say, hey, kid, 
<laughs> how'd you like us to option your, your story idea? Well, the thing is that all those actors who acted in your 15-minute short for free because they thought they were going to be stars, eh, guess what? When the studio picks up the option, stars need work. <laughs> So they're going to cast that new sitcom with, you know, names people know. And, yeah, there might, I mean, there, there may be a, a couple of faces on, on that 15-minute uh, trailer that uh, they get careers. This happens, and it's the same is true with, with scripts. There's a, but, I mean, these, I mean, these days it's actually, from the realities of the marketplace and the way that streaming series go, because, you see, a streaming series is like 4 to 13 episodes, it is more, it makes more sense creatively for uh, Netflix to option a book than to option a spec script, because a spec script is just a two-hour feature. But a book has got, that's, the, that's kind of the wonderful thing about, about streaming series is, uh, and, and I've said this again to other, to, to writers who are still slaving away with scripts, is if I've binge-watched a cable series, after those 13 episodes or whatever, or maybe multiple seasons, <laughs> okay, I, I watched 185 episodes of this Turkish mystery series. <laughs> Don't ask me why. I think it was COVID. But after I finished the last one, I miss those characters. Mm. I miss them like friends that don't call me anymore. Okay, I've never walked out of a feature film and said, I just, I, I'm just, you know, so attached to those people. It, it, two hours is not enough. You know, electronic media and streaming and, and view at home and, and all this stuff has really profoundly affected how we tell stories. And, and we're living in the midst of it, and I don't think we're... I mean, Amazon's got this thing called Kindle Vela where you release a story a thousand words at a time, and there's huh. a new thing. What was it I saw the other day? Wattpad. Watt, Wattpad. Uh, same, same thing. It's like a dedicated blog for writers to release their stuff, you know, an episode at a time. And you've got kids, you know, reading episodes on their iPhones as they're waiting for the bus or riding in the subway. And then also there's this feature on Kindle where where you stop uh, listening to the audio book, your ebook has been bookmarked. So when you open it as an ebook, because, you, you know, it's like I've got a book oh. report due on Friday. I, I'm just going to listen to the audio book. But then the thing is, you get hooked on the audiobook. Oh, well, I can read faster than I can listen. <laughs> Hopping platform. So this also happens. And this, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful in a way, but but also as a creator, it's kind of head spinning. You know, I mean, maybe this should be an audiobook. So, so you mentioned before, Gerald, that, that you, you may are a little compulsive. And I'm wondering, you've been, you've been writing this long. <laughs> And, you know, I say that with the utmost love because I'm an entirely compulsive person myself. But but how do you stay so optimistic in a place that seems to crush and thrive on crushing optimism? How do you how do you keep that drive? Well, see, I wrote business and technical books for most of my career. And actually, I was represented by one of the most successful nonfiction agencies. OK, the DOS uh, for Dummies and and Idiot's Guides and Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mean, they had they had mega authors, and I had I had one successful book with them, How to Lie with Charts. Even though I had, I and that's a textbook at Georgetown. Okay, so if there's a congressman who's using a misleading chart, blame me. Uh, but the thing was that that I mean, I knew the head of the agency very well. They'd represented me for actually a couple of decades, 
And I, I was getting, you know, kind of long in the tooth and thinking, you know, I, I, I'd really like to coast, not coast for a while, but I just want to do what I want to do. And so I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to just turn all my attention to fiction. And he said, have a nice life, kid. So I learned self-publishing back when almost nobody was doing that. And, you know, so I learned book design and I learned e-book formatting. And, I, you know, so I've, you know, now I've got 13 novels that have been released that way. And I will say the thing that keeps me going is when I was writing business books, I wrote to an outline. I had to submit my outline to the publisher. They assigned an editor. And if I didn't turn in two chapters a week, I got my wrist slapped. If I departed from the outline, it's like, how come? And now that I write fiction, I have learned that the most fun and thrilling product comes from not knowing how this is going to end. <laughs> okay. Hmm. I mean, I trained as an actor for a while. Okay. I realized, you know, I, you're not going to get that part you want unless somebody presents you a script. Well, as a writer, I get to play all the parts. <laughs> the thing I realize is once I've created those characters, they go off in the directions. <laughs> I don't even, you know, I can't even anticipate, but it's great to, fun to see what happens. And the last several books I've done, if not all my books, I really literally did not know how it was going to turn out until the last page. And that's certainly true of Mick Myra and Brad, because Myra is stressing with herself all the way through this book. Again, and I've had, you know, and I have beta readers. I have, you know, other authors and colleagues who, you know, I, I try it out on them first. And it's like, Gerald, <laughs> just like the last one, I didn't know how this was turning out at the last page. So, you know, it may, I may, in fact, get more of a thrill than a reader does by, by actually getting to the end. And, and that's one of the things that keeps me going is if I can delight myself, then there's a chance. You know, that whether it's a, tomorrow or two years from now, I'll I'll delight that reader. Uh, Gerald, I, I'm picking up something, and hopefully it's not too far from the mark, but it seems like for you the plot is not really that important when it comes to the book, and the story is really driven by the characters. Wh wherever the characters go, that's where the story is, and that's where the entertainment and the fun of the book comes from. Well, you know, in movies, and, you know, as I studied screenwriting a lot, is, you know, uh, action is character. So plot, the, the characters create a plot. We have something in, in, in comedy writing called the engine of comedy. Okay, and, and this can apply to other kinds of writings. What's the, what's the plot engine? And one of the problems with newbie writing is, okay, you've got a situation, but you don't have a plot. Because a situation without a conflict doesn't generate a plot. But in comedy writing, they say there's three, there's three ways to generate comedy. You can, and they're all by reducing the comedic character. You reduce them to an animal, a machine, or a baby. Now, that has various levels of sophistication, and you might not really be aware uh, that that's what's going on. But a human who is overconfident and is suddenly faced with a challenge that they can't manage, that is an engine of comedy. And, and in, in Myra's case, it's like, why did you sign up for this? And, and again, so we've got, we've, got a, we've got something of a commentary on, on feminism. We've also got a satire on the billionaire boyfriend. And we've, we've got kind of, a, kind of a wry look at the, I won't say the humorous side of show business, but maybe it is, maybe it is humorous. But, I mean, you know, from the inside, it's a lot... 
you know, stardom for, I don't care whether you're Lady Gaga or Beyonce or, or whoever, stardom from the inside looks a whole lot different than it does. For, I mean, the Grammy Awards are coming up <laughs> on February the 5th, right? It's also like big team sports. You know, the Grammy Award gets up there, and you know, the first thing is like, I thank God for blessing me. And, you know, I, I read a whole mystery series about an agnostic preacher, okay? It's a Southern Baptist. So, I mean, you know, I, I, it, it's like I understand that part from the inside, too. But don't you think God was watching after the other five people who got nominated? I mean, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I have questioned that as well. And 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 you you know you got every right to jump up on that stage and say finally I have I have a tuxedo hanging in the closet that I bought from a thrift shop and a and a the wife of a dear friend was head of the school board that ran the thrift shop and she said I've got a Calvin Klein tux in here that's exactly your size you know and you're kind of short and you're kind of you know I I won't go into any more detail but she somehow she knew it was my size and it was. And I bought it for $11. It's just, you have to promise me to wear this when you re- win your Oscar. And she's in heaven now. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I feel like if I'm, if I ever won any other kind of award where it was appropriate to wear a black tie, you know, I'm obligated to thank her for the tuxedo. Gerald Everett Jones, author of Mick and Moira and Brad, a romantic comedy. Um, Gerald, I'm on your website, jaredeverettjones.com. Is that the best place for people to get uh, more of your content? jaredeverettjones.com with two Ts. Gerald with a G, Everett with two Ts. That is the best place to start because there's not only a link to the book where it's on Amazon uh, as as ebook or paperback, but also there there's uh, review copies of my mystery series and stuff, and you can you can see my entire book list, and you can read something about me. You can see my blog, where I you know rant and rave about stuff. I've got a th- the thinking about thinking series. You know, I like to review books that intrigue me. You know, I'm not trying to advertise books. I'm just trying to say, you know, this, I, I here's a surprise. I mean, Michelle Hulbeck's books. You know, French writer translated into English. This guy is incredibly cynical. I mean, I don't think I would ever write anything like that, but I just admire his bravery. I, I just admire the way he kind of, as you would, as he exposes himself. In some ways, he's he's one of the most popular writers in France. I don't think he's popular here particularly because people just don't. I just think the Europeans are more into, like, the dark existential philosophical, you know, whatever. And, you know, Americans might be more into, like I said, action, revenge, love, love, jealousy. Um, You know, we're into that whole Hollywood emotion thing. And, you know, that we like to have our emotions manipulated. And, you know, we've certainly learned that with social media. And it's kind of, you could say it's sad that posts about love and, well, maybe posts about Kenton's rival the post about hate but it's all emotion it's not about news it certainly isn't about news well and humans certainly love getting manipulated whether or not they admit it though that's that's a story for a different day well gerald thank you so much for joining Absolutely. us we really appreciate the time well you're a very generous host and thanks for all the flattering words and let's do it again absolutely well good luck and uh, until next time okay gerald everett jones author of mick and Moira and Brad, a romantic comedy. You can also go to his website, jaredeverettjones.com. That's Gerald with a G and two T's, 
in Everett. This interview was originally recorded January 19th of 2023.